Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Mills, the Director of Technology at AMT, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. Ben, what's going on, man? Steve, it's been a great week. What have you been up to? Um, well, let me tell you. Um, it was... I can't believe we're already more than a third of the way through the year. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, at the end of last month, like a week or a week and a half ago, like the other weekend, um, I drove down to North Carolina uh, to surprise my best friend. His little brother actually set up uh, a surprise bachelor party for him. He's actually getting married next week. Sure. And we went down there for a bachelor party shenanigans. And uh, it was very clean and it was a good time and there was nothing crazy. I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic and he is marrying somebody that's a little bit strict with the activities. So uh, there was no lewd acts involved. So uh, the primary, the main event of the bachelor party um, was incredible. And we went go-karting. Oh, awesome. It was a really fancy indoor go-karting. Okay. And me and his little brother were planning this in advance. And we were looking up places that were kind of close to him. And we found this really cool professional indoor place. Um, it, it's, it's, I say professional, it's sanctioned. Like, like they wow. take it really seriously. And like, like you've got, uh, um, uh, a, a driver's briefing wow. before you go out on the track. Sure. Every time that you do a race, right. there's a driver briefing. It's not like, oh, you've done this once. Now, you know, you're, you're right. good to do it forever. Every time there's you, you go out onto the track, even if it's just an eight minute race, um, which is what we did. We did two eight minute races. We go to this place. It's sanctioned. They take it very seriously. Um, I knew this in advance, of course. <laughs> so I brought my own motorcycle helmet and my gloves because nice. I wanted to look special and stuff like that. <laughs> because, you know, I've done uh, since I was probably the single digits of age on the PlayStation. I've been playing Gran Turismo forever. I know what it takes <laughs> to I know the concept, the the science behind a driver's line, right. how you take a squiggly piece of asphalt spaghetti and you try to straighten it out as much as possible by taking the light right line through corners, right. you know, breaking at the right time, starting wide, coming inside, clipping the apex perfectly, and then going back out wide while rolling onto the gas. And like, I know this stuff and I've always respected race car drivers and like, you know, they're heroes of mine. And, um, you know, some people say, Oh, you know, the, the car's doing all the work. They're not actual <laughs> athletes. Racing's not a sport, dude. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, me in, Steve. What did you so, learn? This experience? <laughs> so my best friend and his little brother are, uh, have, they, they've always, they've been athletes, you know, sure. uh, the, you know, as, as much, as long as I've known them, you know, they played soccer and baseball, cool. baseball doesn't really count. But then again, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm hyping up racing. So, you know, I can't, I can't talk smack about baseball, but you know, soccer, those people are running for like 90 minutes straight. And anyway, they're fit. I've got easily a hundred pounds on both of them. Okay. You know, so I'm already at a disadvantage, sure. but mentally I know my lines, Sure. you know, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, we were, uh, our, our times were really tight and there was some really good racing and there were times where I was just, just dominating them. And then there were other times where it was just like, 
I'm out of breath and you know, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, we're, uh, they're eight minute races That's long. and we only did two of them and I'm pulling down the front straight and I'm looking at the big board they have that shows everybody's position, what their, uh, their split times are, what their best lap is and stuff like that. And I'm just like, how much time is left in this race? I can't, I'm out of breath. Uh, I'm getting weak. Like I have, I've never pushed myself like this before. Cause like, you know, playing Gran Turismo and doing a lot of performance driving right. uh, and, and riding a motorcycle as much as I do. And I, I feel like riding my motorcycle is actually a nice, decent workout. Um, but uh, I, I've never really, you, you don't, riding on public roads, you don't get a chance to really push the limits of what you or your vehicle are capable of. And we were on a track and this is the first time doing that. And I never thought, you know, like when, when you go to the gym and you're lifting weights and sometimes, you know, probably, especially if you don't do it very often, it's good. It's a good idea to go for at least the first few years, I guess you'd say with a personal trainer, just to make sure you're doing everything right and doing everything safely. And the most important thing that personal trainers will always make you believe is, you know, when you're on the bench press or whatever, make sure you're breathing properly because it's easy to forget breathing. Totally forgot to breathe while I was. (laughs) So I'm like super out of breath. Muscles are tightening up. It's just, it was bad. But uh, then on top of that, you know, being a big fatty, uh, when we pulled in at the end of the race, it was just like everybody hopped right up, got out of their cars. And sure, you know, it was nice being like, you know, on the podium being like first a few times, um, it leading some laps. Uh, the other, the second race, I was just like, Nope, I'm taking it easy. I, <laughs> I finished third, sure. but, uh, but like everybody just hops up out of their car, all these light people. And I'm like, dude, I need help. <laughs> like the other, the other, the next set of, uh, drivers, uh, actually came out onto the track and started getting in their there. cars. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm still like, I can barely move. I can, I need help unbuckling oh, and man. stuff like that. It was, it was bad. It just made me think that, Okay, we gotta we gotta start uh, getting active again. This pandemic has been bad for me. <laughs> it's been rough. Not that, it's been rough. Not that I've always been like you know super fit, but like when go kart takes it out of you. <laughs> but but you know I have a, a I've always had respect for race car drivers, yeah. but now I yeah. really know what they're going through. It is interesting that you if you actually see like a certain uh, race car drivers in person, like Formula One. You oh see, my God, how thick their necks are uh, yeah, from holding their heads up in corners. <laughs> there's certain features on like NASCAR, I, te- I think tend to be taller and maybe on the larger side, but even yeah. like LeBron drivers, those guys are not big. Those guys are really petite and fit. They're like the Bruce Lee's of the world driving cars around. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like Dan Gurney, everybody, a lot of people have heard of Dan Gurney at least, you know, he, he was an anomaly. Sure. He was, he was six plus feet. Right. He's great. He's known for, um, uh, when you see cars and they and you look at the cockpit, like the, the passenger cabin, mostly a sports car, and you mm-hmm. see like those humps on the roof, right? Um, those are called gurney bubbles. Oh, because they am. that's that's <laughs> so you could get like a, a head with yeah. a helmet on yeah. in a small cabin of yeah. a sports car. That was their way of like make getting a few more cubic inches <laughs> inside the cabin. That's a gurney bubble, and that's it was awesome. after him. But yeah. He was an anomaly. And the other cool thing that you don't realize that I remember hearing, but now I got to see it and feel it in practice rather was, and I was definitely not pulling this many G's, especially in a go-kart, but um, 
you know, in Formula One and in uh, ALMS and Le Mans and World Endurance Championship, those those drivers, um, we're talking world class sports car drive right. race car drivers. Um, you know, when they're pulling three G's in a turn, they have to take a huge deep breath mm-hmm. while having a sustained 160 beats per minute heart rate. They have to take a big deep breath before going into a corner yeah. because the amount of lateral G's they experience can actually cause their lungs to collapse. <laughs> I'm not saying I did that. I sure. by no means did that, but like, I'm just saying like you're out of your mind if you don't think those boys and girls are athletes. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny to hear that, uh, you know, I, I think I've, I'm a good video game driver myself, but that doesn't translate anything because you disconnect from the physical world. You're like holding oh, your breath on a, on a tight turn like that. that that's something I'll never learn until I don't do yeah. it at a crash. <laughs> it, it's, it's like the recoil to air softers, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. an air softer. You like, I saw there was, there's some videos on YouTube of like, like these, uh, gun guys, like, like, uh, um, firearms instructors mm-hmm. who are like ex seals and stuff they take like these kids off the airsoft course who are like really good and have a lot of tactical discipline but you know and and they can hit their targets and stuff like that but right. they've never those those airsoft guns they don't recoil Correct. so right. they they don't know how to manage that stuff it's it's like that that's, i would imagine funny. all right uh you also uh, mentioned uh, learning the hard way of how complex cutting fluids are. You want to get into that or you want to save that I, for another time? So I, you know, drew in our, uh, is it technology issues committee? Correct. Yeah. Not AIM. I, I always get confused with AIM, but um, uh, Drew of uh, Blazer or Blazer Swiss Lube, you know, he gets accused. <laughs> well, he likes to say he gets accused a lot of selling snake oil. Sure. But uh, I really want to have some more in-depth conversations with him about the the ins and outs of manufacturing fluid, cutting fluid, coolant, lubricants, all that stuff, all those fluids. Because I've really been like, you know, taken aback and and baffled by some gear oil science as of late. So I actually had um, the transmission, the manual transmission gear oil in my car changed recently uh, when I did the clutch. And then I did it, I changed the gear oil again because my transmission was acting up. And I also um, changed the oil, which is the, the engine oil is the same as the transmission oil in my uh, motorcycle right. had that changed recently because it's been that poor bike has been neglected for a year <laughs> now and I finally got it serviced and took it out on the road because now I'm not really afraid of uh, COVID anymore sure. um, at least on the road uh, <laughs> I, I'm not worried about you know having to falling over separating a shoulder and ending up in a uh, <laughs> hospital and catching COVID there I think they've got it under control in at least inside hospitals now so let's go get hurt on the bike anyway get the thing serviced and You know, I do recall that every time um, uh, I get the oil changed in my motorcycle, because it has a wet clutch, the clutch is actually bathed in the same gear oil that the transmission gears are being lubricated in. Right. Um, Every time I get the oil changed in the bike, it feels like the clutch is a little worn out. Sure. When it's not, it's just I'm breaking in new oil. Okay. And... You know, within 50 to 100 to a couple hundred miles, the oil's broken in and the clutch is back to its uh, standard torque holding abilities. And 
it's interesting because you think oil, you want to minimize friction as much as possible. But at the same time, you know, when you have something that's bathed in oil, like a clutch, a clutch is about, you know, using friction to your advantage. Um, you don't want to totally screw that up, which is why you cannot mix uh, motorcycle engine oil and car engine oil. That's yeah. a talk for a different time. And I'm sure Drew can instruct me a little bit on that too. <laughs> but um, my car, when I changed the gear oil in my car's transmission, um, I was getting some grinding. And I think I talked about this on the last episode, but I've been getting some grinding at speeds above 65 miles an hour. Sure. And it's either shifting up into fifth from fourth above 65 miles an hour or from sixth gear down shifting into fifth above 65 miles an hour. Right. No matter what, no matter what I do, no matter how long, how slow and how long it takes me to go from one gate into the fifth gear gate yep. and how I make sure that the clutch pedal is floored, there would always be a grind. Right. right. Anyway, I've put on like another thousand 2000 miles actually since that uh oil change has been done or the gear oil change has been done it's totally gone and i think it's you know the the same thing that i experienced with the motorcycle gear oil change or transmission oil or engine oil change is that the oil needs time to break in right. because you know in both of these cases you don't want perfectly uh, frictionless oil. Yep. You do need some degree of friction. And it's because um, after looking at a lot of diagrams and trying to wrap my head around the, the, the clockwork that is inside any transmission and that's manual transmissions apparently are simple. Yep. I don't even want to know what's going on in an automatic, <laughs> but um, you know, the synchro, what, what you feel when you're go, when you, when that you, when you feel that notch going into any, transmission gears gate uh you're feeling that synchro uh mesh the speed of one shaft to the shaft of the gear that you're going into and while that synchro needs to help synchronize uh the the speed differential between those two shafts sure. um if there's absolutely no friction then that synchro doesn't have a chance to really spin up mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, to help uh, make that shift happen. So you're effectively shifting from a totally different speed right. shaft into a shaft that you, you, you may be shifting, for example, from a shaft that's not moving to one that's moving at like 5,000 RPM. And right. that's why I was getting that grind. The oil hadn't been broken in yet. So I got a serious like lesson recently in, in oils yep. and, uh, you know, just, just lubricants. So I would love to know what are some of like the intricacies in manufacturing cutting tool fluids that, uh, you know, I probably don't know. And maybe a lot of people don't know, but like, what are some of the challenges that, you know, people, companies like Blazer and mm -hmm. what Drew do on their, uh, their uh, cutting fluid uh, machine tool fluid uh, yeah. test bed yeah. that they are trying to replicate or overcome, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting you bring up. So like, um, you know, just the idea of the stuff right out of the bottle versus, you know, something that's been in a coolant jar for a lot of time, you know, just the history of a fluid that in yeah. the manufacturer, they all have different conditions, you know? And are you waiting for like, like, like is the oil break in, right. uh, are you trying to get, um, 
small particulate from the transmission or whatever it is that you need to break in the oil? Are you trying to impregnate the oil with like small uh, small parts per million of like particulate, sure. or is it just, uh, is the break-in due to thermal cycling? I'm not saying I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm asking questions. Yeah. So I hope to learn what I'm talking about, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, That's, I, I really want to have a talk on that. Absolutely. So let's get into some articles. I was, uh, found some interesting yes, information on automation. Uh, RA released a press release about robotic orders and I found it very, I'll say reassuring, very, um, complementary of the manufacturing industry. So they're reporting an increase of about three and a half percent from 2020. Uh, I'm sorry, from 19 to 20 year over year sales. Uh, and and that, I thought that was a very good, you know, growth um, uh, um, statement for the automation and manufacturing industry. Uh, so they're also, I mean, I'd say it's not a fair comparison, but looking from, um, you know, the end of last year into this year, they're seeing significant growth also um, of about like uh, a significant amount. But, you know, some of the industries that they are noticing year over year growth in is like life sciences increasing like 69%. Mm-hmm. Food and consumer goods grew like 56%. Uh, rubbers and plastics saw 51%. Automotive grew 31%, 39%, sorry. Uh, so I thought this was a very good, you know, retrospective look on, um, you know, the growth in robotics. Yeah, uh, going into um, you know last year, and I thought that was that was great. And I feel like robotics is only going to keep growing. You know, that that's one of right. those things that uh, you know all the Dogecoin boys and girls <laughs> can say, yeah, that thing's going to the moon. Yeah, because you know, like I, I like to say, automation is foundational to the future right. of transformative manufacturing technologies. Yep, and you know, because we talk when when you talk a lot about um, the digital thread and Industry 4.0, right. You know, that's all like network infrastructure. Yep. You know, the cybersecurity is a concern and frankly, it always will be. Um, and, and but like, you know, you got to make sure you've got a sound network. Um, you've got a good data transfer from one device to another and you're extrapolating and interpreting that data properly and you're only collecting the right data and stuff yep. like that. Yep. That only gets you so far, though. Yeah. Um, when it comes to actually higher performance, then you need to start increasing the capability of your manufacturing facility. And that's when, you know, the next step, once you got that network infrastructure in place, then automation is your next step. And the last thing robotics, I feel is that, 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 okay. And the last thing I want to hit on uh, from the articles, uh, Q4 in 2020 was uh, 63.6% higher than Q4 in 2019. So oh, if you look wow. at Q over, uh, year over year for end of last year, that was a super, super strong finish. Um, and, you know, and talking to the automation and manufacturing committee, they, they see, they're, they're feeling the impact of a lot of that growth. You know, they saw changes in who they're delivering to in industries. And, you know, the article mentions that too, but um, automation is strong. It, I think uh, coming out of the pandemic, it'll uh, change kind of U.S. manufacturing. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a big deal when you know something like this pandemic almost uh, certainly affected everything and in most cases it hurt everything. Right. But when you have something especially a technology like automation that comes out of a pandemic and you find out that wow, it's actually doing 
way stronger than in anybody anticipated than the year before, which was pandemic list. Right. It's a big deal. And, and of course we know why that happens because, you know, you, you kind of want to take humans out of the equation when, yeah. it, when we're talking about getting people sick, but uh, it, it's, it's really special and that's a cool case. So let's talk about Toyota, man. You found a good article of uh, how Toyota's oh, yeah. uh, weathering the seas apparently. Yeah, so I saw Jalopnik posted something um, with respect to Toyota and their uh, their their anticipation. They had anticipated the chip shortage. Mm-hmm. So we talked about last episode um, the shortage in silicon. How there's a huge premium on silicon right now, and it's not just GPUs and 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 cpus that we're talking about and of course uh we've mentioned um automobile manufacturers with uh their ecus every you know there's a lot of different industries that use silicon and it's you know the the pandemic a lot of people anticipated that there would be a shortage because uh, a lot of the stuff comes from uh the far east right and as it turns out the pandemic didn't affect the supply chain coming from Asia mm-hmm. as much as we thought it would, where the shortage really came from was the, the majority of people working from home and feeling that they needed to upgrade their home office setup. So everybody's buying things from, you know, CPUs, GPUs mm-hmm. to, you know, just webcams. You know, there's, people demanding new silicon in various products here and there. Um, But uh, what was really cool about this, we we know all that. What was cool about this article is Jalopnik found out that Toyota was totally prepared for it. Wow. It's not that they saw the pandemic coming and they saw that, you know, uh, uh, something would affect the silicon shortage. It's the fact that, they had apparently experienced a silicon shortage before in okay. the past. Yep. And it, it, you know, I mean, Toyota's still around, but it apparently <laughs> hurt them enough to the point where they were like, this can't happen again. Sure. So I get, I don't, you'd have to read the article to find yeah. out more, yeah. but uh, maybe they stockpiled silicon or maybe. what, but, but they were ready for this. You know, I, I found it because I'm, uh, I've asked you to help out on an article they were writing about, you know, taking, failures and converting those to lessons learned and trying to apply those lessons learned in the future. And, you know, this is a very interesting uh, scenario where this actually worked, right? So they had a failure. They said, let's not do this again. And then they put systems in place. So this error or problem doesn't come up again. So obviously, you know, it's on a very, very large scale. Toyota is massive. They're doing a lot of things well because they're Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> you don't call it the Toyota production system for nothing, right? So it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, application of, uh, you know, lessons learned. And, and you know what, I'm, I'm going to follow suit with Toyota because there is this awesome sauce literally at uh, Trader Joe's called <laughs> Chili Onion Crunch that yeah. uh, Russ and his wife, Sarah, got me onto. And um, the past few times that I've went to Trader Joe's, they've been sold out and they said it was because of a supplier's glass shortage for the jars (laughs) and it's cool when you go to trader joe's and you don't see something not only will they come back to you and tell you yes sorry we're out of stock but they'll tell you exactly why and which supplier's fault it is (laughs) like they know all of that it's fascinating but anyway 
I'm going to do what Toyota did. And the next time that stuff is back in stock, I'm going to buy like a case of it. <laughs> I don't even go through it that fast, but I don't want to be without it ever again. I can't confirm that that's what Toyota is doing, but I recommend you buy as much uh, salsa as you can. <laughs> All right, Steve, man, the last article I want to talk about is advances in 3D printing. Uh, I have an article from Design News and I talk about some research that uh, University of Virginia and um, uh, Argonne National Labs uh, was getting into. Uh, let's see. Uh, they're investigating structural defects that occur in 3D printing, uh, specifically for the, you know, the use case that they have is for the aerospace industry. Um, and what they're looking at uh, is a porosity that develops, but that porosity transmit, transfers into a keyholing. Um, so what they did is um, wow. uh, they use high-speed uh, Scantron X-ray imaging to discover how porosity occurs to characterize metal transformation during the 3D process. Uh, at a very high spatial and temporal resolution. So there's taking tons and tons of high resolution pictures uh, using x-ray and basically watching uh, the entire process as it's printing. That's cool. And I, find I can't really help but stop you though. Did you say Scantron? That's what the article says. Like not like the one you fill out with bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't miss that stuff, man. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad they're putting that to a better use. And, <laughs> and I, 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 cool. Yeah. And cool. I, and it's found interesting. I mean, they, they highlight a, one, uh, two key observations from here. One is, um, uh, I think, very obvious that the narrow, that the uh, the uh, the narrow band for uh, energy and speed, or the mm-hmm. the band for energy and speed is actually very narrow to achieve uh, um, a, a correct uh, part. Uh, and one of the things that they talked about was um, the the metal actually vaporizing, uh, then in turn causing a high velocity vapor. To escape the melt pool and creates a keyhole, so the the energy band is either too high or there's too much energy per uh, velocity, wow. and uh, the metal is vaporizing, creating this keyhole condition. Um, and 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 one other interesting part about this is uh, acoustics from the process could be affecting the gas bottle too. So that's you know in the overall scheme of things, you know they came to some interesting observations. They have some good. Uh, thought process on the uh, observing the melt puddle melt pool but the Mm -hmm. interesting takeaway on the acoustic side was very fascinating for me because that's a new uh uh input into the process new physics into the you know you obviously temperature speed radiation now you got acoustics that you have to consider and i thought that's very very fascinating me yeah where did we hear about acoustics uh recently um Oh no, never mind. It was uh, during uh, the IMTS demo days. I was uh, chatting with Steve Lesnowich on the final episode, and he was talking about how they were making FACO tips out of they were oh, Swiss right. turning FACO tips out of titanium yeah. for one-time use parts in the medical <laughs> industry. Um, and and a FACO tip basically is a, a needle that goes into your eye in in resonates at an ultrasonic frequency to dissolve a cataract and there's a hole in the middle that's bored like a gun barrel miniature gun barrel to vacuum up all the cataract juices uh, that you don't want floating around in your eye but okay can we ban that word cataract juices i'll never say it again i promise (laughs) Uh, in the manufacturing there's long long time ago we started investigating creep grinding for some of our profile cutting so instead of using uh, profile cutters you would actually grind the profile and there was experiments of using ultrasonic uh, or applying ultrasound to the uh, coolant being shot into the um, into the grinding uh, no surface way. cavity to see if you get better, uh, you know, coolant uh, flow into there. So that was a long time ago, and I I feel like that 
that died out. I don't think it. The results weren't uh, positive enough. No, I don't think the impact was high enough for what they were trying to do. But Thank I do you. see uh, small use cases for uh, you know ultrasound being applied in the manufacturing world. Now, it's kind of interesting to see that pop up once in a while because I feel like it's one of the things that just comes out of nowhere. But it's got a fairly long history of being uh, found. You know what? One of my favorite technologies that um, is shared amongst um, watchmaking and manufacturing mm -hmm. is ultrasonic cleaners. Oh yeah, there's definitely. ultrasonic baths to yeah. part to clean parts. Yep. You know, I I I first saw one of those in uh, oh a watchmaker in Arlington, Virginia, actually, and I was like. So what are you what are you doing here? And he's like, oh well, once I take apart, you know, the watch movement, it's dirty. I mean, this yeah. thing has been working. It's been you know beating for twenty four hours a day for the past seven years at at uh, uh, twenty eight thousand eight hundred vibrations <laughs> per minute. Yeah, for twenty four hours a day right. for the past seven years, which is you know typically the service interval of a watch. You know, a lot of wear and tear and lubricant and gunk has gotten all over these uh -huh. parts, even though it might look clean uh, to the naked eye. Um, you know, they put it in an ultrasonic bath and clean it off. But I remember my first IMTS uh, when I was doing uh, those uh, IMTS TV unofficial Snapchats yep. um, on my phone when uh, I was walking through that section of IMTS. I think it was the Sea uh, Hall. In the north building, cleaning section. Um, yeah, they yeah. had the massive ultrasonic cleaners. And I was like, "Are these industrial like deep fryers? Because they look like deep frying machines." But, uh, yeah, that was cool. Awesome, Steve. This is a great episode. How can and where can people find more info about us? All right. So I said this last time on our last episode, and I didn't quite have the new website right. But amtnews.org is kaput. Good. Don't go there. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. It may redirect you, but don't even try it. You want to go to our original website, uh, amtonline.org. And if you want to find more of us and you want to find more cool articles that we've curated, like uh, there was a, we've got a re uh, recent article that uh, Tech Trends found from Mashable that was how to shut down Boston Dynamics spot the robot dog, uh, which... If you ever come across one of those robot dogs spot and it is doing it is engaged in an unsavory or lewd act and you need to shut it down, this article will tell you where its e-stop is. But anyway, to read more articles like that, to find out where the e-stop is, go to amtonline.org slash resources. amtonline.org <laughs> slash resources you go there you'll have four different options you'll be able to look at amt news you'll be able to look at our newsletters like like my weekly tech report and subscribe to them of course you'll be able to hear the rest of the podcast episodes that we've done since the beginning of time and uh, of course our recent white paper series we've got all of those resources in one nice little spot at amtonline.org slash resources Ben, did you get that? Are you done, Steve? <laughs> Special shout out to the comms department to, for the refresh look on the AMT website. Oh my That's God, great. it is beautiful. All right, Steve. Thanks. All right, have a good one. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.